Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Jew Podcast, where we dive deep into Torah and Judaism to uncover its hidden beauty. Come join us as we take a closer look and breathe new life into traditional Jewish ideas. And now, here's your host, Rabbi Moshe Siegel. Hello, and welcome back to the Thinking Jew Podcast. We recently completed the yearly Torah cycle and once again started the Torah over with Genesis. Therefore, I think it's a great opportunity, first of all, to join the entire Jewish people and begin to read the Torah itself. If you've never done this before, it's about 10 pages a week in English, and in one year you'll complete the entire five books of Moses. So it's really a great opportunity to start. If you have any questions along the way, you can always reach out to me at thethinkingjewpodcast at gmail.com. So since we're starting the Torah over again, I thought it would be a great time to discuss the structure of the Torah. You may have heard of the prophets or the writings. Maybe you heard of Mishnah or Gemara. So what exactly are all of these different sections? What are all these different parts of Torah? Are they all from God? Was it added later? Were they also delivered on Mount Sinai? What exactly is the relationship between them and really the general structure between the written and oral Torah, as we'll discuss? So for starters, what is Torah? Torah is our moral and legal guide based on the divine wisdom of God. On a deeper level, Kabbalah teaches us the Torah is actually the crystallization or the closest we have of the physical expression of God's mind itself. And since the Torah is an expression of God, naturally, it'll reflect those characteristics as well. So just like God exists outside of time, so too his book and his wisdom exists and applies to all times and all generations. We know God is infinite. So too the levels and layers of Torah understanding are also infinite. That's the gist of what Torah is. Now let's discuss the general organization and structure of Torah. So just to put it into perspective, If you were to attempt to write a book to guide humanity for eternity, it would be millions of pages long. Practically, it's impossible to write a book that will list every single application for every single law across thousands of years. Because like we mentioned, A, it'll be a billion pages long, and B, certain laws only make sense in certain generations. Imagine Moses reading a verse about microwave usage on Shabbos. It's absurd. So what did God do? What God did was he gave us the written Torah and he gave along with it a system of interpretation, a process to apply that Torah to each generation. He then appointed the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Torah Court, as the final decision makers over this application. And this is what is referred to as the oral law. In addition to this, many of the laws that were already relevant in the generation of Moses God explained himself to Moses how to do them, and those are also included in the oral law. So, for example, the fact that the tefillin have to be black and square is called a halacha lemoshe misinai, an explanation that God told Moses at Mount Sinai. It isn't explicit in the Torah. The verse is actually quite vague. It just states that you should write something on parchment and bind it to your arm in between your eyes. But then the oral law, in this case God himself, explains the details. So practically, the relationship between the written and oral law is that the written law is the general guidebook, the principles, 
and the oral law explains the practical details. To hash out this point, let's take an example that seems pretty clear-cut in the written law and see how clear it really is without the details of the oral law. Let's take the verse, do not kill. It seems pretty straightforward, don't kill. But if you think about it, it's really lacking a lot of detail. What about the death penalty? What about abortion? How about killing one person to save many people? So even though the most basic part of it seems obvious, but the law still requires a lot of levels of definition and boundaries. And this is really true with all mitzvahs. Take any mitzvah you want. Another example, let's take chauffeur. Well, what is a chauffeur? The Torah just writes that the first day of the seventh month should be a day of blowing. Well, what are we blowing? How many times should we blow it? What should it sound like? Etc. The same applies with every single mitzvah. I challenge you to think of any mitzvah that exists that you could understand entirely through the written Torah alone. It simply doesn't exist. You need the details of the oral law. So the main takeaway from this section is that the oral law is complementary to the written law. It doesn't add anything to the written law. Rather, the oral law explains the principles documented in the written law. With this information, let's now approach the general structure of the Torah. Specifically, what are the prophets and writings? What is the Mishnah and the Gemara? Let's start with prophets and writings. The term Tanakh refers to the entirety of the written law. Taf stands for Torah, Nun for Nevi'im, Chaf for Kesuvim, meaning Torah, prophets, and writings. There are a total of 24 books across the entirety of the written law, the five books of the Torah, eight books of prophets, and 11 books of writings. The Tanakh as a whole is considered the written Torah as it contains God's moral and ethical lessons and inspiration for the Jewish nation. These were intentionally documented and intended to be learned for all future generations as written scripture. Historically, there were actually other prophets who also prophesied, but their prophecies were intended for their specific generation and therefore not included in the Tanakh. The difference between these three parts, Torah, prophets, and writings, is primarily the level of divine clarity in each one. The Torah was received by Moses, who attained the highest level of prophecy possible for man. He was unparalleled in his prophetic ability to any other prophet. The Talmud expresses the difference between Moses' prophecy and all other prophets' prophecies as the difference between looking through a clear glass and a frosted one. Because of this, the Torah is the purest form of God's words. The books of prophets are one level down from that, meaning that God gave the prophets a message but it was in a slightly less clear way. This doesn't mean that it was changed from God's intention. God knows exactly how the prophet's going to interpret it as well. It just means that it's not as pure. Man's mind was more involved in the interpretation and delivering of this message than the five books of the Torah. The lowest level is writings, ksuvim. These were divinely inspired through Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, but not written through prophecy. I understand this as being somewhat similar to a spiritually transcendent state, but not necessarily hearing the voice of God speak to you. Now, that's the basic outline. That's the Tanakh. And all of those together form the written law. Now, let's go to the Mishnah and the Gemara. The Mishnah and Gemara are collectively known as the Talmud, and they contain the tradition of the oral law. And the obvious question is that if it's an oral law, why is it being written down at all? 
This is really a very bothersome question because the truth is that it really should never have been written down. In fact, there's actually a Torah prohibition against writing down the oral law. So why does the Mishnah and the Gemara even exist? Before we understand the structure of it, how could it be there? So let's hold back one second on that and first understand the role of the oral law. One level we mentioned already is that it's impossible to include every single case in the written code. So naturally, you need a system of application, and interpretation. However, based on that alone, there shouldn't be any prohibition against writing down the oral law. Why would it be prohibited? Our rabbis teach us that there was a second fundamental necessity of an oral law. Since the law was oral, one was only able to learn that information from somebody else, from a rabbi. And the rabbi who taught them viewed it as his responsibility not just to pass along the information, but to develop the person, to build the character traits. And only a person who the rabbi trusted to be a carrier of the Torah had the ability to become one. And this was a built-in protection against perversion of the Torah law and unscrupulous people becoming Torah leaders. However, historically, there came a point in time when the Romans controlled the Jewish areas and Torah study became extremely limited. The scholarship was so weak and the leading sages recognized that the oral law was at risk of being lost entirely. Rabbi Judah the prince therefore took the bold move of writing down the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a collection of the opinions of the great sages of the oral law, and he wrote them down and documented them as the basis of the oral tradition. However, as we mentioned, there's a major concern with this. Now that the oral law is written down, anyone who wants to read it can become a so-called Torah expert, and potentially lead the people astray, perhaps even pervert the words of Torah through this. To avoid this from happening, Rabbi Hudner explains that when Judah the Prince documented the oral law, he intentionally didn't write out all of the details. He wrote the bare minimum that was necessary to retain the law, but not enough that you can learn it by yourself and master it without a rabbi. You still needed a teacher, a mentor, to teach you the correct interpretation of the Mishnah. For those of you listening that are familiar with Talmudic study, that's why you find concepts such as or other concepts that literally add words to the Mishnah, completely changing the context all the time when the Gemara interprets the Mishnah. At first glance, it seems absurd. How could the Mishnah mean that? It's clearly against what the Mishnah is saying. But when you realize that Rabbi Judah the Prince intentionally wrote it in a way that you can't understand the Mishnah without a rabbi, and this makes a lot more sense. Continuing down history, as the exile continued, the generations became even weaker, and the leading sages once again felt that even the Mishnah wasn't enough. So the two great rabbis, Ravina and Rav Ashi, compiled the Gemara, which is basically, they documented the conversations in the study hall regarding the interpretations of the Mishnah. This was the final and most authoritative source of the oral law, and this is known as the Babylonian Talmud. So to sum it all up, Tanakh, Torah, Prophets, and Writings is made up of 24 books. Five books of the Torah, eight books of the Prophets, 11 books of Writings. This is the written Torah. Initially, the written Torah was given over with the explanations as well as a system of future interpretation known as the Oral Law. This was passed over orally for hundreds of years until Rabbi Judah the Prince realized that it would be lost if he doesn't document part of it. He therefore recorded the Mishnah, but he did so in a way that still necessitated the teaching of a rabbi. 
As the exiles became worse and the level of Torah study suffered again, even that wasn't enough. So years later, Ravina and Ravashi gathered all the discussions of the study halls and compiled the Gemara, which is a commentary on the Mishnah. Together, the Gemara and Mishnah are referred to as the Talmud, which is the basis of the Oral Law. I hope this helps clarify a little bit the system and structure of the Torah. As always, if you have any questions, never hesitate to reach out, thethinkingjewpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, have an amazing week. Thank you for listening to the Thinking Jew Podcast and for taking the time to study Torah and deepen your connection to Judaism. If you found value in today's episode, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe to the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or topic requests for Rabbi Moshe, please email the Thinking Jew Podcast at gmail.com or visit thethinkingjew.com.